How we doing? Hey, good to, good to be with you again tonight. I'm excited uh, to be able to share uh, God's word with you again uh, tonight. Uh, you know that earlier this morning we had um, some time dealing with a question, right? And um, tonight we kind of continue in that series or that theme of a that uh, transform lives. And so these questions that Jesus is asking of people in the New Testament, uh, they're questions that are not uh, because he's confused, not because uh, he doesn't have the answer, not, not because he needs help, uh, but they're really to, to help others, uh, to help build them up, uh, to lead them to a place maybe of personal transformation or uh, community transformation. And so we're going to continue with that uh, theme tonight. Each time he asks a question, it, it literally sparks uh, a response. Uh, usually it leads to more people hearing the gospel and, and the gospel spreading. But let me, let me start with a, a simple story. I, I was out ministering much like I am uh, today, and I was in a new city, a city I'd never been before. And uh, I, was, I, I wasn't hungry, y'all. I was hungry. Come on, somebody say amen. Thank you, Pastor Zach. Y'all, y'all give it up for Pastor Zach. Give it up, Pastor Zach. Yeah. I just want y'all to know he took me to Woody's tonight for food before I got here. And, you know, my belly is saying something and my mind is saying something else. But we're going we gonna to get it together, right? But, but like I was saying, I was, I was out, I was ministering, and um, I, was, I was hungry. Somebody say hungry. And I was almost hangry, but I wasn't there yet. I was, I was hungry. And, and so I'm looking for a place to eat, and everything is closed, y'all. Like, everything is closed. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to have to eat at the hotel. I'm going to have to stop at a convenience store. And then all of a sudden, y'all, I see a Popeye's chicken light. <laughs> I was like, hey, I wheeled that rental car into that Popeye's chicken. And I said to the lady, ma'am, can you give me a three-piece? Can you give me some of that dirty rice? and some green beans, and she was like, sir, 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 I am so sorry. We out of chicken. <laughs> I, I said, ma'am, it sounded like you said y'all out of chicken. She said, sir, I am so sorry. We've had two buses of football players. We are completely out of chicken. Now, I'm thinking what you're thinking. You Popeyes, and if you out of chicken, turn the light off. Close the door. Don't let me drive up in here trying to, are y'all with me? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, it, was not, it was not one of my finest spiritual moments. I sped off out of that drive-through. I was so confused, discombobulated. I was tempted to get on the phone and call the corporate office and report that Popeyes. But here's the thing I realized. Like, if we're not careful, we can be like that Popeyes. A Popeyes with no chicken. Like, how in the world can we say we're followers of Jesus and we don't know who Jesus is? How in the world can we say we're followers of Jesus and we don't know what Jesus came to do? Like, I've had those moments and conversations uh, with people where, um, who say they love Jesus, but then when I start, like, really digging down into the conversation, I'm like, are we talking about the same God? Anybody been there before? And, and in a similar way, there was some confusion uh, in Jesus' day about who he was and what he had come to do. 
not only that, there, there, there was just this sense of like, who do people say he is and who do you say he is? And so let's turn to uh, Matthew chapter 15. We're going to begin around the 13th verse, and I'll be reading from the NIV. Watch what it says. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Verse 15, but who, what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Father, we know the flower fades, the grass withers, but your word stands forever. Speak in this moment, move me in the background, may you be at the forefront. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Speak now, give us all the courage to respond in obedience. We pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus. Somebody shout amen. amen. Who, who do you, who do you say I am? Uh, I, I remember hearing the story about a, 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 a janitor at a middle school who um, was so frustrated. I mean, he was, he was just so frustrated. And he went to his principal and he tells the story about how he had been trying to clean the, the girls' bathroom in the main hall, and, and every day when he went into this bathroom, he would find that the girls had placed uh, lipstick um, all over the, the mirror. And apparently what they were doing is they were putting on lipstick, and then uh, to get the excess off of their lips, they would kiss the mirror, right? And then they would come back, and he was like, okay, that's perfect, and they would leave. But, like, several girls would do this over the course of the day, and so the mirror would be flooded with, with lipstick marks. And so uh, the principal was like, I got you. Don't worry about it. We're going to take care of this. We're going to take care of this at the assembly. So they get to the assembly that week, and the principal shares what he normally would share, announcements and important information. And then he gets to the end, and he says, well, and by the way, I just wanted the girls to know how the janitor cleans the mirror in your bathroom. He says, well, what he does is he takes a mop, the same mop that he uses on the floor, uh, the same mop that he uses around the toilet, he takes that mop and with excess water, he douses the mirror with that mop. And then he gets a squeegee and he cleans it off. And the girls' mouths are on the floor. And he says to the janitor, I don't think we'll have any more problems with the mirror. When you know certain things, it's really hard to unknow it. When you see certain things, it's really difficult to unsee it. Now, when you think about uh, the book of Matthew and what uh, he is intent on helping the people to see and know in this book, he wants his Jewish audience and the reader to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. He, he wants them to know that Jesus' life and Jesus' teachings were really important. And you would have thought that just those things would have been enough for the Jews, um, but, but it wasn't. And most Jews, yes, they followed Scripture, but unfortunately, many of them would misinterpret them. And thus, they would apply them incorrectly. And they, they were often more concerned about these, these man-made rules than what Scripture was actually saying and what scripture actually meant. And so something similar uh, 
happens today. Like, Jesus is, is asking his disciples, and, and I'm asking you. Like, the, the question becomes, who do, who do people say Jesus is, and who do you say Jesus is? And the disciples, they were out there because at Jesus' request, he, he told them to get out among the people. And so they were, they were listening, they were talking, they were learning, and they were able to answer Jesus' first question. And, and this, this, this probably seems strange to them because Jesus normally doesn't talk like this. I mean, Jesus doesn't normally ask for a Gallup poll. Are you with me? But he asked them, who do people say I am? It's almost like a lawyer asking a leading question. <laughs> and then they say, they, some people say you're John the Baptist, which is Jesus' cousin. Some people say you're Elijah, right? Some people say you're Jeremiah. Some people say you're just one of the prophets. And, and all the answers here are, are actually complimentary, but these are, are, because these are important people, but they're, they're incorrect. They're actually incomplete. And, and these are high positions like prophets, but they're not, they're actually not high enough. People then and people today are always in the state of confusion of who Jesus actually is. So the question becomes like, who do, who do people say Jesus is now? Uh, some people say he's a prophet. Some people say he's a good teacher. Some people just think he's a historical figure. Others say he was a really moral man. Some would argue he's a lunatic and a liar. And some, some say he's the savior of the world, that he is the Messiah. This question, this question is an important one because Jesus knows what other people think actually matters and it influences his disciples. And, and then he turns, though, he turns from this outward question that he asked them to an inward question and an important question. He says, who, who do you say I am? Now, the truth be told, these disciples have wrestled with this same question before. You, you remember the storm, right? You remember where they wake Jesus up because they're terrified because they thought they might die, uh, and, and, and they're at sea, and, and Jesus rebukes them, and then he speaks to the wind and the waves, and the storm ends, and these same disciples ask, who is this that the winds and the waves obey him? And Jesus knows. He knows for them then, for us now, how we answer this question has lasting implications. It, it could be the difference between eternity with God and eternity separated from God. So Peter, Peter, the oldest among the disciples, Peter speaks up. Now, I must say to you, Peter is one of those people that probably should be always wearing peppermint socks because he, he has a tendency to put his foot in his mouth a lot. But this time, this time Peter actually says something worth listening to. Watch what it says in verse 16. It says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. So as we walk through this, I want to talk to you simply about three things from this text. The faith we confess, the promise we believe, and the blessing we enjoy. Let's talk about the faith we confess. Now, Hebrews 11 tells us that now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. 
um, we also understand in this context of this chapter that faith is a believing response in who Jesus is. This is not about confidence in ourselves. This is not about even confidence in the church or other Christians. This is a believing response. Somebody shout believing. A believing response in who Jesus is. This is where we confess who he is in relation to God, who he is in relation to us. And Peter, somebody shout Peter. Peter makes this confession, uh, which is almost a proclamation. He says, you are the Messiah, but he doesn't stop there. He says, you are the son of the living God. So this, this actually becomes a turning point in the life of the disciples. It becomes a turning point for us who understand and believe this truth. Like everyone must eventually answer this question. It is clearly the most important question in this series and our most important question period. What do you do with Jesus? Who do you believe he is? Now, let's kind of unpack a little bit of what the two things that, that Peter says. He says first that he is Messiah. Somebody shout Messiah. Messiah. Now, we know that as the anointed one, the Christ, the promised deliverer of the Jewish people, and some would argue the savior of the world. Now, the next one that he says is that you are the son of the living God. Now, what that means is you're, you're fully God, but you're fully human, and that the fullness of God dwells in him. The glory of God shines on him. He is the image of God, and he is the exact representation of his being. We see this in Colossians chapter 1. And Jesus is kind of a representation of what we would call the anointed ones. And there were three uh, categories of this that we saw in the Old Testament. And they were revealing, and they were reconciling, and they were ruling. And so the revealing ones were the prophets. Somebody say prophets. Like these were people who spoke the word of God. They were foretelling, but they were also truth-telling. And so in this context, how do we learn from Jesus as our teacher who is revealing who God is to us? The second group was the priests. Everybody say priests. Now, they did the work of reconciling, reconciling us to God. And so the truth is that we must trust Jesus as our Savior who reconciles us to God. But then there was this third group, and these were the kings. Everybody shout kings. Now, they, they had the job of ruling. And so the question becomes, as we serve Jesus as our leader, as our ruler, as our master, do we allow him to really rule our lives? If the truth be told, Jesus is the first and only person who fully represents all three of these anointed ones. The question becomes, like, do you believe this about Jesus? Do you believe that he is the one who reveals, that he is the one who reconciles, that he is the one who rules? Where, where, where do you stand on this? Like, are you willing to give up your right to disagree with him? Or are you willing to give up any other hope of saving yourself? Are you willing to give up your right to rule your own life? Like, these, these commitments are non-negotiables of followers of Jesus. And this, this is the type of faith this text is inviting us in to confess today. Like, will we join Peter here? Jesus says that Peter's blessed because he's been given this confession. He's blessed because he's been given this faith. And Peter, in this moment, he says something that none of the other disciples have actually said before. And Jesus says, the father that has given him this ability 
and it sparks a revelation of truth. And so Peter speaks up and makes this bold confession. Um, I got five kids, and um, the Lord said be fruitful and multiply. We was trying to be obedient. Come on, somebody say amen. We was trying, we was trying, we was trying, we was trying. And um, so I know what it's like. I have, I have one son, and um, like this story is about a son who was a basketball player. My son loves basketball. He's a junior in high school. And um, so the story is about this, this son and his father, and the, the, the church had just built this family life center, and the family life center had a gym and all that kind of stuff in it. And so this son would come, you know, home from, from school if he didn't have practice, and he would go to the family life center, and he would just hoop it up. You know, he'd hoop it up sometimes with people in the community. Sometimes he'd just do drills on his own, and, um, and he's hooping it up, and, and the janitor is in there watching him, and some, a few people from the church are kind of in the room, and he comes down the court, y'all. He, he starts from one end of the court, and he dribbles. I mean, y'all remember like Michael Jordan did back in the day with that like uh, free throw line thing when he, y'all remember that? Uh, like he did one of those, y'all. Like, he, you know, he had the little swagger when he was backing up and then he came down and he was like, uh, and everybody was clapping. They was like, I can't believe that he was able to do that. And so people, they go get his father, who's the pastor. And they're like, pastor, you got to come see your son. You got to come see what he's doing in the gym. And so the father gets up. He makes his way down to the gym. And he, everybody's like, watch this. He's going to do it again. So he goes to the other end of the gym, y'all. And daddy's watching now. He's like, I got to do this. I got to represent. You know what I'm saying? And he comes down the court and everybody's like, And he gets to the free throw line, and he's like, yeah, he yanks it. Everybody's like, yeah, pastor, did you see that? The pastor does not move. He does not change his facial expression, nothing. And then he pulls out a set of keys, and he walks over behind the gym, and he puts his key in a little button, and he turns it, and he raises the goal from eight feet to nine feet, ten feet, he turns the key and he says, son, when you're able to dunk that, then come get me. And he walks out. And everybody in the gym is like, pastor, that's kind of cool. Pastor, that, 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 why didn't you encourage him? Why didn't you? And the father, who was also his basketball coach, uh, said to them, the way I coach and the way I raise my son, we don't change the standard. The standard is the standard. We should do it the big way. You know why that's important? Is I think sometimes we try to change the standard on who Jesus really is. Sometimes, sometimes we try to change the standard on what Jesus really came to do. Sometimes we try to change the standard on what the Bible actually says. And this father understood it, that if I lower the standard and, and that if I celebrate lowering the standard, then my, my son will misunderstand, like, what this is all about. Like, you have to live up to the standard. The standard doesn't change. You have to raise the bar for the standard. You should not lower the goal. I think some of us, if we're honest, we've been lowering the goal. 
We've been lowering the goal with our relationships. We, we've been lowering the goal with how we steward our time and our money and our resource and our talent. We've been lowering the goal on, on how, we, how we pursue Jesus. Like, it's possible to lower the goal. And watch this. Sometimes when you lower the goal and you look successful, other people celebrate. But some people who understand the standard understand, no. That's not how we do this. And there were people in Jesus' day lowering the standard. Paul, it would have been great to, to identify if you weren't Jesus, to be identified as John the Baptist. Oh, it would have been great if you weren't Jesus, to be identified as Elijah. It, it would have been great if you weren't Jesus, to be identified as one of the prophets. But Jesus is Jesus. He's the standard, and you don't lower it. Neither does God. So Jesus says to Peter, you didn't come to this on your own. This was given to you by my Father in heaven. And if the Father is revealing this to us, revealing this to him, it is because he wants us to be able to answer the question. He wants Peter to be able to answer the question. So now we move from not just the faith we confess, but we move now to the promise, the promise we believe. Watch what it says in verse 18. It says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, there's a little bit of wordplay here. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, it, is Peter the rock? Is, is it the confession that is the rock? It is, is it the one who confesses <laughs> that is the rock? Like there are a lot of questions that are swirling around this passage for people for, for generations. But I'm so glad that here at Central, this is a place where we're not confused about who Jesus is. If you're at a place where you get inspirational thoughts, but you don't get Jesus, be careful. If you're in a place where they always make you feel good about yourself, but the messages and the teaching do not confront you or the Holy Spirit does not convict you, be very careful. Engage this week is really about bringing clarity to who Jesus is. It is about understanding who we are to him as the body of Christ. Now, once Peter, once Peter gets this revelation on who Jesus is, Jesus then reveals to Peter who he is. Y'all catch that? You catch that? Like once Peter gets this revelation about who Jesus is, Jesus then reveals to Peter who he is. It doesn't happen the other way around. You don't know who you really are until you begin to know who Jesus is. It is that place, in that space, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you begin to know who you are. So then it says, it says here, it says, upon this rock. Now, let me give you a little bit of kind of the wordplay going on here. So there's, there are a couple words uh, here. There's petros and then there's petros. Now, petros means small rock. Like that's what he said when he was talking about Peter or Kephas. He's talking about a small rock. This is Peter's name. But then there's Petros when he's talking about uh, something different. He's talking about a firm foundation. He's talking about a cornerstone. He's talking about stones that are connected together, that are jointly put together. And he says, Jesus says, upon that rock, I will build my church. And then he says something bigger uh, here. He says, upon that rock, I will build my ecclesia, right? Ecclesia. He will build uh, the called out ones. He will build, in Greek context, this is also a, a legislative group. This, this is a group that is different than the rest of society. He, he's talking about that we are saved from something, but we're also saved 
for something. Like, this isn't just a group that meets regularly, but one who meets with a common purpose, and that is to live out the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Now, contextually, you got to understand that, like, where Jesus is standing is important. Like, where he makes this statement is important. This is a, a place that is north of, of where we might consult, uh, consider the majestic Mount Hermon, which is a, 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 a peak of, of about 900 feet. It's a huge mountain. It's normally covered with snow. And, and some of the headwaters from the Jordan River flow from this place. There's also around this place a rock that that flows through a place where there has been some limestone that has been cut because of the flow of the water. And there's actually, watch this, remnants of the temple of the idol god Pan, or some say Pan, and Pan was widely known as a god of desolate places. Y'all see where I'm going? And this place where Jesus is standing is referred to often as the gates of hell because of the hedonism and the sin that was all around it. And so in this moment, uh, what Jesus is saying is, is important because he's not just asking a question, but he's making a statement. Jesus is not just saying how he is going to build his church, but he is referring to the type of places that he's going to build his church. He says, I'm going to build my church in places like this. Where there's sin, rampant. Where there's debauchery, rampant. He says, I'm going to build my church in places like this. Jesus, aren't you glad Jesus is willing to build his church in desolate places? Uh, aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't just build churches uh, on, on high mountains in suburbia, but, but he, he builds churches right down on Front Street in the red light district, <laughs> that, that Jesus will build his church wherever there are people who are lost, wherever there are people who are hurting. And he says, no matter how dark the world is, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now that leads to our third and final point. Um, we don't just talk about the faith we confess. Uh, we don't just talk about um, the promise we believe, but we also end with this idea of the blessing the blessing we enjoy. Now, verse 19 says this. It says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, the keys he's talking about here. And I don't have time to unpack all of this. Like, this is actually an hour-long unpacking of what this means. But I'm going to give you just a short version. The keys are given to the ones who give this confession, the ones who give this heartfelt proclamation. He says to them, you have been given the authority to unlock things and to lock things, but you're only going to be able to do that if you truly understand who I am and what I came to do. If you begin to understand who I am and who you are to me. Now, let me just remind you of some things that get listed in the book of John about who Jesus is. He tells us that he is the bread of life. He, he tells us that he is the light of the world. He, he tells us that he's the door. Another translation says he is the gate. He, he tells us that he is the good shepherd, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the true vine, that he is the resurrection. And I, I love songs, songs uh, like the book of Psalms, and, and, and there's songs that are written today that help remind me of who 
Jesus is. And there's a song I heard years ago. I, I first heard it uh, sung by a guy by the name of Donnie McClurkin, uh, but I've, it's been uh, remastered, if you will, by a group by, uh, uh, th- by the name of Cast and Crowns, and, and it's called Glorious Day. Anybody know that song? Uh, and, and what I want to do, if you don't mind, is I just want to give you a few of the words uh, of this song. Maybe we'll walk through all of it. I don't know. But, but it reminds us of who Jesus is. When we start asking the question, who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? I want to remind you of a few things uh, about him. It says, one day when heaven was filled with his praises, one day when sin was as black as it could be, Jesus came forth to be born of a virgin, dwelt among men. My example is he. Word became flesh and the light shined among us. His glory revealed. And then the chorus says, living he loved me. (laughs) Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified me freely forever. One day he's coming back, oh glorious day. And then it says, one day they led him up Calvary's mountain. (laughs) One day they nailed him to die on a tree. Suffering anguish, despised and rejected. Bearing our sins, my redeemer is he. Hands that healed nations stretched out on a tree and he took the nails for me and then it goes on again to say living he loved me dying he saved me buried he carried my sins far away rising he justified me freely forever one day he's coming back oh glorious day is there anybody getting excited as you as you hear us talking about who Jesus is. Can I go on a little bit further? Can, can I tell you a little bit more? It says one day the grave could conceal him no longer. One day the stone rolled away from the door. Then he arose over death he had conquered. Now is ascended my Lord forevermore. Death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. And it comes back and it says living. What? He loved me. Dying, what? He saved me. Buried, he what? Carried my sins far away. Rising, what did he do? He justified me freely forever. One day, he's coming back. Oh, glorious day. Can I give you the last part of it? It says says this. It says, one day, the trumpet will sound for his coming. One day, the skies with his glory will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved, one bringing, my Savior Jesus is mine. And it ends again by saying, living, he loved me. Dying, oh, Lord, dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Uh, Rising justify me. When you know what this means, when you know what he's done, when you, when you know who he is, these kinds of things hit your core because you realize the sacrifice. You, you realize what he's done. It says rising. He justified me. Freely forever. One day he's coming back. Oh, glorious. Oh, glorious day. Who, who do you, who do you say Jesus is? I mean, do you know? 
Do you know who he is? Do these words from the song, do they just pass over? Or they strike a chord? Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, carried our sins far away. Rising, he justified me. Freely forever. One day he's coming back. Oh, glory. Oh, glory is better. So as I close, I want to just give you some practical things because I've, I've been doing this long enough to realize um, that I can be in a Christian um, university. I can be at a Christian school. But I don't, I don't make the assumption that everybody knows him. Um, for a long time, I knew about him, but I didn't know him. For a long time, I knew about the things of the church. I mean, I knew when to stand up. I knew when to sit down. I knew when to, but I didn't know him. I didn't know him. And so I don't want to make the assumption that everybody in this room knows him. I don't want to make the assumption that when I was reading off these things about Jesus and who he is, I don't want to make the assumption that it resonated at your core. I don't want to make that assumption. And so I, I just want to talk about three groups, and maybe you're part of one of these groups, maybe you're part of multiple groups. But there are practical things we can do. Uh, the first one, group one, like maybe... Maybe the question you want to ask someone today, do they believe, who they believe Jesus is, who they believe Jesus was? Maybe you just want to start with some questions. And if you're willing to do that, I, I hope you're willing to sit with them and hear, hear their answer and have some follow-up questions. The, the second group that I want to uh, reach out to is the group that maybe you want to confess Maybe you want to confess that you've never really believed in Jesus for yourself. Like you've heard other people talk about him, you've heard other people believe, but you've never like personally believed. And what the Bible tells us that we should do is that we should confess our sins. Another way of saying it is that we should, we should repent of our sins and believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And that we can give our lives to Jesus for the very first time tonight. And I don't want to rush past that because maybe you're in the room and I remember that day when I first confessed. When I first really believed. My palms were all sweaty. My heart was racing. I had a little bit of excitement mixed with fear wasn't fully aware of what I was stepping into. I just knew the Lord was speaking and I was supposed to respond. And so if that's you, I, in group two, I, I encourage you as we begin to sing together, the altar is going to be open. And maybe, maybe you stand where you are. Maybe you come to the altar and pray. But if you are confessing for the very first time, I, I, I hope that you will let somebody know. 
that you're making your own personal commitment. Now, repentance, repentance is not apologizing. Repenting is when we decide through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're going to change our direction, that we're going to change our behavior, and that hopefully God will change our, our minds about it. That's, that's repentance. I don't keep going in the same direction, but I go away from the world and I turn to God. Now, this third group, the third group is the group that wants to confess to someone today that you believe in who Jesus is, that you believe he is the Messiah, that you believe he is the Savior of the world, and that you're willing to tell your story in how you, bec- how you became a Christ follower, how you came to believe in Jesus. Now, these, these practical things, they may seem simple, but I'm telling you, they never get old. Asking the question about Jesus, listening for the response, confessing for yourself for the very first time, repenting of your sins, or maybe just telling other people your story. That these are things that have transformed people's lives over the ages, and it won't stop with you. These simple ways of engaging your faith and engaging the faith of others, they're time-tested things. And I want to encourage you to consider them. Please stand all over the building. We're going to sing together. But I want to pray. And I want to invite you to the altar if you, if you're led. And remind you of this chorus as a leading into our prayer time. Living, you love me. Dying. Save me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. Rising, he justified me. Freely, forever. One day, coming back. Oh, glorious. Oh, glorious day. Father, thank you whether we're in group one and we just, we just want to engage with others and ask this important question. Give us the wisdom to know how to do that. Give us the courage to do that. Create space where there can be a, a real conversation. Much like the woman this morning, let it be not just a personal conversation, but let it be a theological one that maybe leads that person and maybe even their family or community to you. But God, if we're in group two and we've never, we've never made a personal commitment, we've been around church, but the church hadn't been enough. But for some reason, God, this message tonight resonates. It's a simple message. It's not that complex. But it's profound. And God, I pray that if we've never made that personal commitment for ourselves that we would confess with our mouth that we would believe in our heart 
all that the scriptures say about you. And the Bible says that we shall be saved. So God moved through this room. We don't take lightly that there might be people in the room who've never made that commitment before. And that this may be the turning point in their lives. And we want to create space for them to respond. And so, God, whether they come down alone or whether they grab a friend and say, you know, I, I think he's talking about me. I think, I think today's my day. We'll all shout with joy, hell has lost another one. <laughs> hell has lost another one. Or maybe we're in group three. And this message is to reinforce and encourage us to share our story with other people. Because when we share our story of what you've done in our lives, it sparks more questions. It sparks more conversation. And, and in that space, God, you can do a miraculous work in us, but you can also do a miraculous work in others. So, God, would you use any and all of those groups, any and all of those individuals who are willing to respond, and may these questions transform lives for your glory, for the expanding of your kingdom. We trust you with this time. Now let us enter into a time of worship. May we celebrate the decisions that are being made. May we celebrate like who you are and, and what you came to do. May we celebrate, God, that you're doing something special in us and on this campus. May we celebrate, God, that, that you chose us and that we have the privilege. Oh, thank you, God. We have the privilege of choosing you. So be with us now. May your presence be ever felt. May there be an outpour of your spirit. In Jesus' name, as the people of God said.